All right, if you get your papers out, we're going to go over a doctrine, and this is one that um, a lot of people outside of church don't understand this doctrine. This is the doctrine of judgment. I hope you've enjoyed the doctrines because we need to understand what we believe. Last week we talked about, does anybody know what we talked about last week? Let's see if anybody paid attention. We talked about eternal security, and today, tonight we're going to talk about the doctrine of judgment. Don't you just love being judged? It's all right if you're judged by someone that knows the answers, and praise the Lord, we have a God that knows the answers. If we had a God that was kind of not too all-knowing, know, all then we would be in, a, in a, a bad situation. But praise the Lord, we have a, we have a God that knows what He's doing. And I, I, want you to, I want you to understand that sometimes we're scared to talk about judgment. But we're going to be judged with what we do. And it's something we need to understand what the Bible says about it. All right, so we're going to doctrine of judgment. Scripture clearly declares that all men and women, by the way, will stand before God after they die. This, judge, this judgment will take place after death. Here's some verses in here, and then we'll get right into it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And as it is appointed unto man, men wants to die, but after this the judgment. Paul writes that in Hebrews, and that's just, that's just as clear as you can get it. When, you, when we pass away, we're going to be judged. You say, well, I thought the unsaved people are going to be judged. They are, and so are we. The saved people will be judged. We'll be judged a different accord, but in Hebrews chapter 9. Then also in the New, Old Testament, in, in Psalm 96, verse 13, Before the Lord, for He cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth, he shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Here is pointing out that there's also going to be judgment in the Old Testament. Alright, number one, all judgment is given to Christ. A lot of people don't know that, but it's given to Christ. God the Father has chosen not to be the judge of man. The Bible teaches us that God the Father has committed all judgment over to his Son and where we base that on is this next verse, John chapter 5, verse 22. This is what it says. For the Father judgeth no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son. That's just as plain as John could write it. He says, let me read it one more time, and you can look it up later. For the Father judgeth no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son. I think that's interesting because Jesus, of course, is all God, but He was also man when He was on this earth, and He's judging other mankind. He knows what we've went through. He knows who we are. He, he understands everything. Um, the Son of God is man's judge. The Son of God is man's judge. Now, you've got to look how he goes after this, and, and there's some points here that I want you to see. The first one is this. To Israel, Christ will judge them as Messiah. That's important, and I'll get to that. I'll come back to that point in just a second. To Israel, Christ will judge them as Messiah. Number two, the New Testament Christians, God will judge them as the Savior of the world. Say so that's the same thing, and I'll explain exactly what that means in just a second. To the lost, Christ will judge them as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now when you look at these terminologies, you've got to understand a few things with it. The, the, the last one, He will judge us, uh, He will judge the lost as King of kings and Lord of lords. They won't necessarily understand who the Messiah is. And they might not understand who, who the Savior of the world is, but they'll understand King of Kings and Lord of Lords because they understand what kings are. Now you go up to the Messiah, if you were to ask a Jewish person that was not a Christian what they're looking for, what would they say? They'd always say the Messiah. We're waiting for the Messiah. Because, and that's how He's going to judge them. 
It's interesting that if, if you were a Jew and you looked at all the Hebrew writing in the Old Testament and, and you started studying and started studying it, there was not one thing that, that Jesus did not fulfill from the Old Testament and yet they still didn't accept Him. What, why is that? They didn't accept Him because He didn't come the way they wanted Him to come. They wanted Him to come out and just be in charge and just take over and, and that's not how... He had to be the sacrifice. And if you think about that aspect of it, you would think a Jewish person would understand sacrifice more than anybody else. Because they knew what they did in the Old Testament. They knew the last plague. They knew what the blood meant. But yet they wanted somebody to come in and just take them out of their misery and, and they are very strong about this. If you ask them who they're looking for, they will tell you they are looking for the Messiah and they will be judged by that Messiah. Point letter number C. Judgment is not an option with God. You know, if you, you just think about it, I don't know if any of you don't like computers. Anybody in here that never uses a computer? Anybody in here? There's a few people. That's, that's fine. But, um, you know, a computer won't do anything that you don't want it to do. You have, whatever you do, it will do. Amen? Sometimes I'll push the wrong button and my computer will do something and, and, and I'll write a whole message or I'll, I'll do a whole um, PowerPoint presentation and I'll push the wrong button and it will be gone. You ever done that? Or have you ever had a computer that, that you have all your information on, you stored it on there and then it goes down? And you're frantically trying to get a thumb drive in there to get all your information off which you should have gotten already. I've got two computers right now that are down. And they both have very pertinent information that I need. And I just don't know, I, I can't even turn them on. They just will not come on. I've pushed that button and pushed that button. I've hit that button with a hammer and it still won't come on. But you look at this and all this information, and why I say this is, all the information that's found in that computer, we think there's a lot. But God remembers everything. He, he, he understands judgment because He understands everything. And that's something for us to understand that He knows everything. You cannot pull the wool over His eyes. And in an earthly judge, you can pull the wool over their eyes. You can say enough and you can even um, beat the, um, the, the, what are those things called that they make you see if you can tell the truth. What is it? It's not submissible in course. A lie detector. You can beat a lie detector if you know how to do it. But you can't do that with God. Everybody's going to be held accountable for what they do. We've got to see that. There is no, there's not an option with God. This next verse is Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. And you don't need to turn to it if you want to look at it later, but we all know this verse. For it is written, as I, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Just that simple. There's no option. And when it says every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow, that's everyone. And you could think of some very bad people that their tongue's going to confess and they're going to bow. I think there's a lot of saved Jewish people who'd like to see that with Hitler. Stalin. And we've got our own over in the United States of some of these people that have committed some heinous crimes. Every tongue's going to confess and every knee shall bow. It's not an option. The next verse that's on there is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. 
It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also that are manifest in our, in our consciences. You know, when we, when we look at God's judgment, it's sometimes easy to talk about God's love. God does love us, but why does He judge us? He judges us because He loves us. Keeps us straight. When you have something holding you accountable, what's the only thing holding you accountable of doing anything you want as a Christian? It's God's judgment. It's not God's righteousness. God's righteousness will point you to that, but you've got to think, okay, what would happen if I did this wrong? Someone in your, in your family has an ailment, and they're going to go to the hospital, and they have no idea what it is, and the doctor says it doesn't look good. You know what you want? You want a clear record between you and God. And you're going to do everything maybe twice to understand, hey, I'm going to confess these sins. He's faithful and just to forgive me of all these sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness because I want a clean slate when I talk to Him. If one of my daughters were to call me today and say, but Daddy, I need you to pray about this, I would want to make sure I have a clean slate between God and, God and me. And so we've got to understand God's judgment. I'm going to give you some terms on here, and you probably know these by looking at them, and you've probably filled in some of the blanks because I gave you the first letter. But if you look at the second part, judge, judgment terms, the first one is mercy. Mercy is this, when God withholds from Christians the punishment they deserve. How many of you this week had some mercy given to you? I know I did. God has done some wonderful things and it's something that I didn't deserve. Next one is what? Grace. Grace is when God blesses Christians in a way that they do not deserve. And we've all had that. Or sometimes we look at this and, and we, we understand God's mercy, but you know what? It's just as much mercy as God gives me, He gives much grace. You know, you, you can go to most of our refrigerators in our, in our house and it's probably jam-packed with food, amen? Food that you've had maybe in there for a little bit too long, possibly. And you're just holding out for that science project that your kids are going to have, your grandkids are going to have. But you know what? In all actuality, we have all the grace. We get so much grace. If I were to say, give me something that God has shown grace and mercy for, to you, everybody in this room should just say, I've got numerous ones. We all walked in here. We all have somewhat good health. We don't know what's right around the corner, but we have mercy and grace. Now the next word is a word that, we don't, that the world doesn't want to think about. And as, as I, I break this down, this is the word damnation. Damnation, when God eternally punishes the unsaved for their sins and the rejection of Christ. So you have mercy, you have grace, you have damnation. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, here's what it says. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard it? God's going to judge the people that, do not become, that are not Christians, and it's going to be a, a damnation. They're going to be cast in the lake of fire. You say, well, how would a God of love do that? A God of love can't, and a God of mercy and righteousness can't bring that into heaven. And the only way that can take that, we've talked about this, that can take that away from us is Christ shed blood on the cross. And His dying on the cross and Him rising again, that brought salvation to us. And it wipes us clean. And you're going to see some of these words at the very end that will kind of explain that a little bit more. 
So we have four things that demand judgment. And I'm just going to read through these, and I want you to write these down. The justice of God demands judgment. Very quick to say some things about God, but He is a just God. And that justice of God requires judgment. I don't know about you, but when I read in Revelation, it is neat to see how God has everything organized. How many of you have your eternity organized? Probably not. But aren't you thankful you have a God that does? <laughs> I mean, he, you, can re, you can sit down and you can see the seals, you can see all the things that, that, are, that are open, you can see all the different things that mean different things in, in Revelation as you look at it. God knows exactly what He's doing. He's not happenstance. He doesn't fly by the seat of his pants. He's got, he knows exactly what he's doing. And when Christ came on this earth, he knew how long Christ was going to be here. He knew what he had to accomplish. And in 33 years, he did that. He also knew the men that were going to be around his son and he was going to teach them in all different manners. But here you have, there's, there's, judgment is not an option with God. And then we've got judgment terms, and the four things demand judgment is the justice of God demands judgment. Here's the verses, Job chapter 37 and verse number 23. Jeremiah verse, chapter 23, 5 and 6. And Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says this, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which, is the Lord, which at the first began by the spoken of the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? So the second one is man's sin demands judgment. How many of you have ever been treated wrong? Anybody been treated wrong? What do you want from people? Don't you, don't, don't you want retribution for what they did? We have a God that does that. And He's a just God. So that man's sin requires judgment. If man's sin didn't require judgment, what, would have, what, what didn't have to happen? Christ didn't have to come to this earth. He was the sacrifice. He was the, the sacrifice in the Old Testament was what? The sheep. The lamb, without blemish. Thank God we have a lamb without blemish in the, in the New Testament. And he knew exactly what he needed to do. And so he did it. But man's sin requires judgment. And if you think about this whole plan that God has set up. He set the Garden of Eden up, man was in there and man fell. He pulled him out of the Garden of Eden. And you know, we were talking about this. We were at the ark and there was a picture of that when, when man was fallen. I don't know if some of you read that when you were there. But there's a picture and it portrayed what their expression would have been on their face as they were being removed. Can you imagine being removed from the garden because of what you've done? Now, there's a couple of things you need to think through this. You've been talking to God physically. Wait a second. God even created you in His own image. The woman that was with him was created out of the rib of the man. And so when you look at all these things and you see all the things that God did, and then when they were cast out, can you imagine how they must have felt when that sin entered into them? 
the first thing they do is they cover themselves up. And then not only do they cover themselves up, they hide from God. You cannot hide from God. But you know, when they made a mistake, you know what God did? He made a plan for them. And He knew what to do. And who were the first two sons of, 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 of Adam and Eve? Cain and Abel. And one brought the right sacrifice, one didn't. And the one murdered the other one over it. Man, I'm telling you, sin is just rampant sometimes. But God had a plan. And even when Cain messed up, what did God do? He made a plan to help him. So we can say that God is a God of judgment, and He is, but you know what? He's a righteous God, and He's a just God, and when sin enters, it has to be judged. I don't know if you even can comprehend, because we, in our, infinite, in, our, in our finite minds, we cannot understand what it means to be in a sinless environment. You might, not, you, might not have, you might not have sin in your life, but the people around you that have sin in their life, they will impact your life. Amen? Isn't that true? You have a granddaughter or grandson or a neighbor that does something wrong. Does it not affect you? Sin affects everybody. So it must be judged. And it's judged by a righteous judge that understands everything, sees everything, understands everything, knows who we are. So it's got to be judged. The third one is this. Heavens demand, the heavens demand judgment. Revelation 21, 27. And number four. Man's judgment against his fellow man demands judgment. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at that in just a second. I don't know if I gave you man's sin demands judgment. That's Romans 6.23. But if you go to Matthew, let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Here, here, here um, Matthew is giving the record of Jesus talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 7. And it says this, it says in verse number 1, Judge not that ye, that ye be not judged. One of the probably biggest verses that's misinterpreted in the Bible, or misrepresented, Amen. Have you, ever seen, have you ever heard someone say, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge people? Does it say that? Now you've got to judge them with the right heart, and you've got to have your heart right to judge people. But they'll take this verse, the Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. Well, even in its own connotation, it's saying you can judge as long as you're okay with where you stand. Verse number two, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Look what he calls him in verse number five, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. I heard someone give an illustration of this. This is like an illustration of, just so you understand that, the magnitude of this, it would be like Bernard coming to me and telling me, buddy, you got something wrong with your life. And he looks at me and I have a toothpick sticking out of my eye. He said, let me get it out. But when I look at him, he has a telephone pole sticking out of his eye. How in the world is he going to get come, to, come close to me to do the surgery to take the, the, the toothpick out of my eye when he's got a telephone pole sticking out of his eye? And that's what we do. Most people that judge people have the worst life. 
That's why when they asked Jesus what would happen, that, that woman, he says, the one that is sinless casts the first stone. It, it's, it's interesting when, when you look, even with it, the people that speak the most usually are the weakest in that area. I remember sometimes we, we would look at, and we're doing our church budget coming up and, and finances, and usually when, when people complain about finances, they're usually probably not the givers. The ones that say we need to go witness and tell others they don't ever, they don't ever share a track because they don't understand this judgment. We've got to get back and understand that God has a judgment for us. And he, he also understands that in this, the, the last part, man's judgment against his fellow man's demands judgment. What you do to other people, God will judge. In fact, what's God going to judge you on? Most of the things He's going to judge you on is, of course, his relationship with, your relationship with Him, but then it's your relationship with other people. It's not the idle time you have, it's what you do with your time. And so we've got to see that God has judgment for everybody. He has ju God, the justice of God demands judgment, man's sin um, demands judgment, heaven demands judgment, and man's judgment against his fellow man demands judgment. Now let's look at some of these words coming down at the very bottom. Judgment in relation to justification. Judgment and justification are two different words. Justification is the judicial de declaration of God whereby the sinner is declared to be righteous and thus able to have a relationship and fellowship with God again. We're going to look at some verses in here. I want you to um, write these. The first verse is Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 and verse 38 and 39. But the next verse I want you to see is, is Romans chapter 3. Verses 23 through 26. And we all know the first verse, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus." There's justification with God. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. I cannot read all those, but I want to go to the very end of that verse, uh, some of those verses. It says, Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Everybody agree with that? For by one man... This is what it says in, in, in Romans. For by one man's, sin, man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Watch this. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. I love that verse as Paul writes that. He says, listen, one man's brought sin in the earth, but one man gives us the capability of being righteous. And who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus himself. I don't know if you ever get excited about anything. How many of you get excited when you watch a sporting event? All right, I can't see the McCanns not getting excited when they watch a sporting event. You know, I can see them doing the wave at their house, amen? You know, and Charlie starts it and it goes all the way over to Josh. and Megan can't stand up because she's pregnant, but everybody else is doing the wave, amen? But everybody, I mean, we get excited about things. I want to tell you, when we understand that what, what um, Adam did, it created a sin in us. 
And then all of a sudden, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes down, He dies on the cross, He's sinless, He rises again, and now with that, that one man, we are made righteous. Hear me on this, it, it really makes a big difference when you study the crucifixion and you see what, G, what God did every step of the way. And I keep bringing this back, but the veil was rent from the top to the bottom, meaning God tore it. And if you were on that trip and they talked about how thick it was, no man could have torn it. God torn it, tore it so that we could get into the Holy of Holies without going to the... People say, you know, people don't understand. If they find out I'm a pastor, they'll say, now you're a religious man. I said, no, I'm a pastor and I'm just a Christian and I understand it. Well, and then they'll say, well, do people confess their sins to me? I would not want that. I don't know how these priests can get up, and I know they think because they're in a booth, everything's okay. But they can see through those things. I've seen the television shows. And they know your voice. Do they not know your voice? Do they go in and they change their whole voice? And they tell their sins, and then you're supposed to walk out of that and their sins are forgiven? I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that responsibility. And then I wonder how they treat people when they hear it. Aren't you glad you can just talk to God? And that one man brought righteousness to us. Those, those lambs that they sacrificed in the Old Testament, they're only good for a short time. We went through that tabernacle, they made a statement, and I thought, oh my word. Made a statement as every time they did a sin, they had to bring their favorite lamb. Slaughter their lamb. How many of you are animal people? I love animals. You think maybe God was trying to get their attention to do what's right or you're going to have to make a sacrifice, a literal sacrifice? If you came over at my house, I have some puppies and I have a dog and I have a dog named Gwen and if you tried to hurt Gwen, I don't know what I would do. Gwen's my girl. She follows me around everywhere. She likes me no matter what. If I brought her in here, I could tell her to lay down and she would never move. Not so much with the other ones. But I, I sit there and go, wow, I can't imagine doing something wrong and then, okay, you can have her. Never see her again. So with what God did, He did an amazing act. And, 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 and Paul continues to write, he says this, he says, um, so the obedience of one shall, make, shall make many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It's an amazing statement. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness into eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. He wanted to make sure he summed it all up of how you get it by Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have the justification. The next one is declarative. The sinner's punishment is declared satisfied in Christ and the Christian is set free. I want you to turn to the book of Romans. We're going to look at this, these, these verses. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I don't know if you underline in your Bible or what, but I want you to look at Romans chapter 4. And we're going to look at a few verses. We're going to start in verse number. Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 
It says, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will, will not impute sin. The, de the declarative is this, the sinner's punishment is declared satisfied in Christ and the Christian is set free. These are, these are terms you would hear in a judgment. And the first one is, listen, he, he's saying the sinner's punishment is declared satisfied in Christ. and he's We've all heard there's a song, I forget what it is, but there's a song where you're going you're gonna to be punished and then all of a sudden Jesus stands up and says, listen, I'm going to take the penalty for this, this man's sin. This is what he's talking about here. Romans chapter um, 4, verses 6 through 8. The second verse we're not going to look at tonight, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, or some other verses you can look at. But then you go to, verse number, you go to number 3, and there's something interesting in it. I, I wrote those same verses down, but I added a verse. Sometimes we look at these verses, and, but we're going, to, we're going to add a verse. Romans chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, because 5 does something amazing. Verse number 6, let's read it again. Even as David also described it, the blessedness of a man, and whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now go to verse number 5 and look in your Bible. It says this, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his, his faith is counted for righteousness. Wow. His faith is counted for righteousness if he just believes who God is, who Jesus is. So we have the justification, we have the declarative, and the next one is judicial. Judicial, again, is another word you might, you might see in a court system. It says, Christ is accepted as a proper substitute in fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Christ is accepted as a proper substitute in fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Here, basically, what, what, what I'm saying with this is that Jesus is the one that paid for your, for your sin, and He's the substitute for your sin so you can have a relationship with God. You don't have to go to a high priest. You don't have to make a, a, an animal sacrifice. You've already got the sacrifice. All you've got to do is talk to Him. So you have the judicial. The next one, the, the verses for this is um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Let me read that for you. Galatians 3, 13. Where am I at? All right, here we go. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says this. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that what? Hangeth on a tree. This is the verse that tells us that we also understand what the crucifixion was. He could not have been hung. He couldn't have done that. He had to be crucified. The shedding of blood. And he was a substitute for our, for our sin. Sometimes we say that kind of flippantly. But he was a man that knew no sin. And he was on the cross. Remember what he said to God at that point? Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Turned dark. Because God was looking at the sins he was carrying on the cross for us. Just see how wonderful God has been to us. You see God's grace and God's mercy through this whole story. And He was a substitute for our sin. The next verse. 
Just writing these down. The next verse is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And we're talking about judgment and how God's going to judge us. And these are some words that are going to be found in there. And we've got to understand what God is saying. There's a justification, declaration, judicial. The next one's remissive. Man's sins are remitted and forgiven. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. And I like the last one. Restorative. The repenter's sin relationship is restored with God. So if we were, we were standing before God and we had, we had sin in our life, and this is the difference between a saved and an unsaved person. The unsaved person is based on the merit that he didn't accept Christ as personal Savior. The saved person is based on the merit that Christ took away all of our sins and forgave all of our sins. And if you believe that, say amen. Making sure you're still awake tonight. He has taken away all of our sin that knew no sin. Something about having a perfect Savior. There are certain religions out there that don't have a perfect, what they call Savior. People that, that, made, that did sin after sin after sin, but we don't have that. And the repentative sinner's relationship is restored with God. And I want to say this to you. You might know someone that, that, that has been in church and been in church and been in church and outside of church right now, they can still be restored. They can still be forgiven. They can be forgiven in God's eyes and they should be forgiven in our eyes. The forgiven in God's eyes is easy. The forgiven in our eyes is different. Difficult. Watch this. Has anybody ever done anything wrong to you? If they've done anything wrong to you, have you restored that relationship with them? Even if they didn't, they didn't even ask for it. There's times when I've asked for forgiveness and said I'm sorry and I've had people turn around and say, well, it's about time you said that. Or they might say, I, I thought you'd come and say that and they were just as wrong as I was. In fact, there's some times that, that I've went through that and they've been wronger, wronger than I have been. But I can't stand before God for them. I have to stand before God with what I've, what I've done. So I've got to get this right. Let's look at this last point and we'll be done. In the very bottom it says this. It says God's righteousness was imputed or credited to Abraham in the Old Testament. Through faith in God's Son, righteousness is imputed, credited to what? Christians. Many things have been said about forgiveness of sins. But the biggest sin in this world is yours. And no matter what it is, maybe it's bitterness, anger, I've been treated wrong, deserve better. It's amazing when you go to these preachers' meetings, you know what they never preach on? Gluttony. They don't. We were about ready to eat at the last preacher's fellowship, and one of the guys, and he was a gigantic man, he's like, I'm thankful they didn't preach on gluttony today. And he had like two, remember that? He had two bowls full of food. 
I mean, his body weight and mashed potatoes and, and, and um, chicken dumplings. But the Bible talks about many different sins. And there's not a sin that you can commit that he won't forget. And you say, well, does that mean we can do anything we want? No. Because once you become a Christian, what happens is the Holy Spirit indwells you. And he is your, what I call, moral compass. And when you do something wrong, what happens? He lets you know. I don't have to look at my wife and say, was that wrong? She, can, she, doesn't, have to, she doesn't have to be my moral compass. God's my moral compass. And he tells me, no, that was pretty wrong. And, and what's interesting about God is it might not look wrong on the surface, but if you break it down and you peel that onion and you find out in the middle that your motives were wrong, then it becomes a sin and the Holy Spirit knows it. We cannot pull anything over on God. We can't. You think those cameras out there taking your picture when you run through that yellow light? It's not always accurate, but God is. We serve a God that's perfect in every way. And we can, we can say, man, I just don't like Him knowing everything. Man, I love Him knowing everything. Because if you're living right, you want God to direct you. And you know one thing that God can do? He can tell you if you make this decision now, where, where you'll end up five years from now. If you ever went to Bible college, or if you ever had a child in college, at a Bible college, and they think they're going to marry just the most spiritual person that's there. There's not all spiritual people at Bible college. And I remember there's, there's some guys that would want to date my daughters. I was like, please, Lord, let them go to another college. Amen. Let them not pay their bill and get removed from the college. I don't care what you do, Lord, but you got to do something. But God sees everything, every step of the way, and He understands how it's going to end. And He knows what's best for us every, every step of the way. So sometimes we get wrapped up in this judgment. He's going to judge me. He's going to judge you no matter what. So you might as well live right. And I'll end it with this. I said this last week. How many of you know someone that doesn't believe in eternal security? Those are the ones sometimes that don't live very right. And you would think they'd live right. And the Holy Spirit indwells you. He puts God inside, God is inside of you. And He's indwelling you, whether you listen to Him or, don't, or not. He's still indwelling you. And you better do what He tells you to do because you're going to be judged on what you do. Whether it be good or whether it be what? Evil. Aren't you thankful you have a God that cares? We all have friends growing up that their parents try to be the cool parent. Remember that? What would they do? They would let their kids do whatever they wanted. Think in your mind how those kids ended up. There was something about me knowing that my mom and dad, I don't know how my mom figured out all the things that we did, but she did. A prominent preacher friend of ours, you might know him. How many of you know who um, Bobby Robertson was? He's since passed away. 
Walkertown, North Carolina. His son was his youth pastor for a while, and his son one day decided that his friends were going to go out and they were going to soap cars. How many of you know what that is? Okay, take a bar of soap and you know what that is? Have you done that back there? Okay, soap and cars. All right, he knew. His, he raised his hand up real quick. I just didn't know if he knew. You, you, you ride on the car, and, and then they used, they used to, when I was growing up, it was waxing cars. They'd put paraffin on it and stuff. That was even harder to get off. And, and, and I remember him telling the story as he, 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 his friends decided, hey, you, you, we want you to go with us. And so he said, I don't know if I want to go. And they said, okay, yeah, I'll go. And so he snuck out of his window with his friends that night, and he went and he started um, soaping some car windows. And his dad's a pastor of a very large church in, in the middle of nowhere. And he got back in his room, and the next morning his dad came up to him and says, Son, what'd you do last night? And he was never known for doing anything rebellion. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. I was in here. He goes, Son, what did you do last night? He said, Well, I... And then he's got to think, Okay, now he knows something... I remember him telling us, he knows something, so I got to tell him something. I just went out with my friends, nothing went to happen. He goes, what did you do with your friends? And he goes, oh, he said, we probably should have not done what we did. And he goes, what did you do? He goes, um, we soaped cars, the windshield of some cars. He sat down and he was discouraged. His dad said, well, you're going you're to pay for that. I'll figure out what you're going to do later, but you're going to pay for it. And he said, um. He just sat down and he, he couldn't figure out what had happened. He said, how did dad know that? How does my dad know this? Finally, a, a couple days went by and he asked his dad, he said, dad, I just got to ask you. I said, he said, how did you know? Do you know everything that I do? He goes, no, son. He goes, God just has a way of showing. He said, well, how did you know that? And he, he looked at his son. He goes, well, you did one mistake, son. He said, when you, when you soap a car, don't put your name on it. He said, I didn't even think about that. He was writing his name over all the neighborhood cars. Steve, Steve, Steve. We laugh about that, but as, as easy as his dad figured out what he did, God figures out what we do. He knows exactly what we do, and it's got our name all over it.